guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. Mark Sisson, Sisson, sorry, is on the podcast. And I've been a huge fan. I just was basically like fangirling over him before we started rolling. Mark just quickly is like the OG in the health and wellness space, in my opinion. And as an entrepreneur, he had this thing called the Daily Apple. You still have it, by yeah, the way. Yeah. yeah. It's not mm-hmm. like it's gone. Right. But it was it started in 2006, which makes it almost like it's 17 years old. Yeah, yeah. 17. And the, and still one of the best newsletters that I've ever Thank you. read. You're welcome. And Primal Kitchen, which is in my kitchen right now. So I'm just going right for the jugular. You look so good. How old are you? I just turned 70. You just turned 70. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You look like you're like 40. Oh, your body shit, is insane. What are you doing? I want to know everything. <laughs> I want that. I want to know what your routine is, well, what your regimen is. You know, it's uh, some genetics. Okay. You know, you cannot discount that. Some I've been do. I've been athletic my whole life. So I started a routine, a habit of working out daily in my early teens. It started with running, but I also started lifting weights in my teens. I've always been competitive. So the level of my athletics was was such that I would be forced to dig deep and, you know, find the pain cave and mm-hmm. all of the things they talk about right now. I chose to be an endurance athlete. So I chose to, first of all, I was a marathon runner in the 70s, quite a good one. And from there, I got injured after seven years of, of overtraining and beating myself up doing that. So I, I, I switched to triathlon. And so my first triathlon ever was Ironman in Hawaii in 1981. I wound up finishing fourth in the 82 Hawaii Ironman. So I've always somehow been associated with a type of workout that is basically managing discomfort. You know, some people will play soccer and basketball, or I now play, you know, Frisbee, ultimate Frisbee. But in those days, I was just managing discomfort every day. How deep a hole can I dig for myself, Right. you know, and, and hopefully recover from it and improve as a result of it. So it was all about performance for me for the longest time. What's interesting is that like people who've done that for as many years, like you said, you started in the seventies and like your body doesn't seem like, I don't know, I don't know you on a, in a very deep level, but I just met you, but you don't seem like your body's broken down. Like you look like you're very fit, like you're still very active. You're doing yeah. ultimate Frisbee. How did you even maintain that ability given the fact that like, especially people who are runners like you, yes. yeah. their bodies break down so quickly. Like after a while. Oh, I, I'm like now over- on a campaign to eradicate running. Really? Uh, I mean, we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, but, I want to. But, yeah. you know, as I think walking is the best thing a human being can do for, yeah. for oneself. No, I mean, I, I've lifted weights. So I've maintained muscle mass. I've maintained range of motion. I've, I stretch a little bit. I don't do yoga, for better or worse. Uh, you know, we'll talk about diet. I mean, I think 80% of my physical, mm-hmm. you know, results, uh, my body composition as a result of my food choices, which is what I've written about for 30 years. Right. You know, it started with... Uh, just real food, but then sort of morphed into paleo and then primal blueprint and then keto and then intermittent fasting. So I've been at the forefront of a lot of these different modalities or these different ways of eating that manifest themselves in improvements in metabolic flexibility and metabolic efficiency. You talk about that a lot. We're going to talk all about the metabolic flexibility. I know that you're like a big advocate for that, obviously, for good reasons. Talk about that. By the way, did you start this, the whole idea behind that because I always whenever I like click on something or back when yeah like I would always hear you talking about metabolic flexibility and other people would say when I was speaking to Mark we were talking about right right I mean I I, Rob Wolf and I popularized the term Mm. many years ago and it just became it became this way to describe a state of the body where you could access 
any substrate for energy that was available at the time or necessary at the time. So whereas most people spend their lives just being good at burning carbohydrates, right? Mm -hmm. they, they eat a lot of carbs, they turn it into glucose or glycogen, they work out, they burn that, they never burn fat because they never get to the point where the body says, let's burn fat. Right. There's always plenty of of calories available in the form of, of glucose or glycogen. So metabolic flexibility describes the ability to extract energy from the fat stored on your body, the fat on your plate of food, the glucose in your bloodstream, the glycogen in your muscles, the carbohydrates that are on your plate of food, the ketones that your liver makes in the absence of glucose. And once you develop the state of flexibility, a whole world of like empowerment opens up where you're not tethered to appetite and cravings and hunger all the time. Your day isn't uh, dictated by when meal times are, you have all the energy you want all the time, for the most part. And one of the one of the side effects of that is you, because you're continually burning off your own stored body fat, you tend to have low body fat, which you know a lot of people think is a good thing. Yeah, and, they, and I'm, and I'm, I'm one, one of them. them. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're both one. Yeah. Of them. So so back to you know how how did I get to where I am today? It's a, it's a combination of some initially starting with uh, aerobic athletics. Mm -hmm. Cardio, they called it uh, in those days, and and uh, and then they still call it cardio. And transitioned over to uh, weightlifting and speed and strength, which I think was the probably the right way to do it. And then recently, have combined the two of them. So I'll I was uh, you know telling your husband I ride a fat bike on the beach, a fat tire bike on the sand in Miami. Do that at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. It's a brutal workout, but it's a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah. Is that just all the resistance it's from the sand? It's all the resistance from oh the gosh. deep sand. And uh, But you know, the good news is you don't even need a helmet because there's no cars. The worst that's going to happen is you fall over because you're going so slow. You can't even yeah. keep the bike upright in the sand, so you fall into soft sand. I do that. I do stand-up paddling. Well, how long do you go on the bike for when you do that? Minimum an hour. And, and actually, I'm, I have one in, in LA, and I took it down. Yesterday, I had an hour and a half ride down to Mescal and then down to the beach and it was low tide and I, and I ride the low tide line down to Venice Pier and back and then up to Mescal to finish. It was an hour and a half. Wow. It's a great, it's, a, it's amazing. I want to get, I want to get one of those bikes yeah. and do that. Yeah. I, like I'm surprised idea. more people don't. It's really one of the coolest workouts I can imagine. The bikes are very stable and sturdy. Yeah. And uh, so between that and stand up paddling, which is my other sort of, I would say cardio, except my heart rate never gets above 130 when I'm doing Stand up paddling. Right. I can get it to 170 still on the on the fat bike. Do you do e foiling still? I, I don't. I I sold my foil. So I. It's one of those things where I'm at a stage of my life where I'm managing risk better. Yeah. And so I stopped snowboarding two years ago. I just don't have the need for speed anymore. Yeah. And I was a I was a avid snowboarder for a long time. One of the best weeks I ever had in my life. I took my 17 year old son at the time. We went up and did helicopter snowboarding for a week in the in the northern. Like uh, hella skiing, yeah. but hella snowboarding. Hella snowboarding. In fact, we went with skiers. You know, uh, wow. You know Tony Horton. Yeah, he of lives, course. He lives I know here. So, Tony, I, so Tony's a very good friend. So he and I, I'm friends we, with him too. Yeah, we went yeah. up to uh, Michael Wigley's place. Anyway, so so that's like my idea of adventure: is snowboarding in deep powder. Now that I'm 70 and I'm just relegated to doing going down groomed slopes in Aspen or you know Mammoth, I'm like I don't I don't need the speed. And if all I'm doing is trying to stay safe and scrub off speed, let me find something else to do. So right. so I did that with so no more snowboarding for me. And then with the foil, it's great and it's it's an amazing feeling. It's like snowboarding times five in terms of the feeling of floating yeah. and flying. But you know at some point when you've done it enough times, you just you know, doing figure eights around a, a loop around a lake or around an, an, the ocean, it kind of loses its adventure Luster, yeah. na nature for me. And I had I had an accident on it that that sort of made me think, 
yeah, you know, maybe maybe it's not appropriate for me to keep doing this. So I sold my foil recently. So what, when was the accident and what kind of accident was uh, it? Just, you know, it was, uh, I, was I, I just had a long, for me, a long session, like 45 minutes. And I literally had, hadn't touched the water once in 45 minutes. It was just going back and forth. I thought, typical of uh, skiers too, one more run. Yeah, yeah I'll yeah. make one more run. And on that last run, I did a, a tight turn and I got too high out of the water. And when you're out of the water, you lose the lift and the flight. And so it started to, f- to fall. And with, with a, a foil like that, it's, you're riding a guillotine. It's a very sharp blade, the wing. So I kicked it aside. Well, I kicked it so hard, it flipped up and cut me in the back. So I, you know, I just said, ah, you know, that's, that's, that's the universe Tell saying this was fun while it lasted. And, you know, let's, what's next? You know exactly. So, yeah. Well, I have a couple of them in my in my garage because my husband's a big foiler too. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever do, by the way, any of those hundred mile runs or just marathons? Just were, marathons. So you didn't do those crazy hundred miles. I mean, I, I probably would have and could have, but by the time I retired from running with injuries, right. I was unable to do the kind of training yeah. that was necessary to do that. So I would have been good at it because the longer the distance was, the the more efficient I was. You know, I was not a very strong. I was quite strong as a 10K runner, but marathon was a much better distance for me because I could maintain such a high level of my aerobic capacity right. for, wow. for a long period of time. So I think, you know, I think I would have been good at ultras. And now that, now with the new, you know, equipment that they have, uh, I have a lot of friends, a lot of friends who are wearing my shoes, doing the, doing the training in, in my shoes for ultras and then wearing that you know their special trail shoes for but but doing nine hour rucking in the in the mountains over st- steep terrain yeah wearing the paluvas wearing the toe shoes so why would they be wearing them with the with the training by the with, they're basically like they look like five fingers sh- yeah. by the way and you weren't behind five finger no. shoes back when I thought you were no no so because that that's what I thought that was your whole movement primal this well, I that mean, I, I mean I was a big fan for the longest time but it, it, you know they, they in my estimation they sort of left. A lot on the table, a lot, a lot of design uh, potential, and a lot of other things that should have evolved with with that technology. They never got around to. So I said, I said to myself, "Well, I'll, I'll do this myself." So when are they like when did they disappear? They didn't disappear. They're, they're still, still around? around, of course. Yeah. They're still oh, around, yeah. okay. So because yeah. why would people train in these shoes? They're called Paluva guys, yeah. and they're very comfortable. And I will tell you something: they actually look cute on even though they may look a little strange in the box or in a picture because mark's wearing a really nice pair they're like they're like fake leather right so no, it's real napa leather this th- is they actual, are this is actual leather yeah, oh yeah, they're because yeah. they're actually cute yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think they're really cute yeah and they are way better for your feet it's called foot health which we're going to get all into yes, don't yeah, worry okay but you're saying something that like people are training in them but then why would they actually run in them well at some point we're going to uh, encourage running in these but it's such a strong a long oh. transition when you go from wearing restricted footwear that's thick and cushiony and encapsulates and encases the feet and you don't work the small muscles of your feet right atrophies uh if the muscles of your feet actually atrophy and so what happens is you put all that pressure and all the burden on the ankles and the knees and the hips and that's why people get injured in that regard i I have a lot of injuries from that i have tons of ankle issues it's and my feet became flat because I wear orthotics in my shoes. Hey, and when you wear orthotics, you're telling your feet, ah, you don't even need to work yes. your arches out. We'll support your arches for you. You'll, we don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll get into this, but it's, it's so, so, true, it's so crazy. So my ultra runner friends and some of my marathoner friends yeah. are now spending the day in Paluvas doing their errands, walking around, yeah. passively training the small muscles of their feet all day long. They might even, they'll wear them to the gym and they'll do uh, their leg work in them. 
they'll do sprints in them. Anything that you would do barefoot, like if you're going to do barefoot yeah. sprints, you do this. But at some point, you know, if you haven't trained well enough to get your those small muscles of your feet acclimated and adapted, you, you know, you can encounter, you can get some, some injuries. Now, there are people, myself included, I could run forever. I think my Paluvas, the ones that we make for training, are the best running shoes ever made. I've been doing this for 15 years. We just don't encourage it with new, right. new people. So where did the whole idea come from that like you have to wear like for me, like all oh, my feet are flats and, and narrow. So then they say wear these orthotics and do all these things. And then like that and then over time, those are the things that are probably causing all these crazy injuries. It's, it's bizarre, but that's medicine. That's so p podiatric medicine, podiatry. Yeah. Like I will tell you, like I was in college, I was one of the best, I was the best runner at the Catholic cross country team and, and on the track team at Williams College. I sat my last year out with it with chondromalacia with a knee injury yeah. because I was wearing Nike's thick cushioned trainers trying to get 40 extra miles a week in because I wasn't feeling the pounding. Wow, yeah. And because of those 40 extra miles a week, all of the stuff that where it would have been my feet that say, hey, hey, you know, slow down, stop. It's yeah. that's enough running for the week. When you bypass all that information, you send it up the chain to the knees or the hips or whatever. And so in my case, I got chondromalacia. Well, one of the one of the cures, I was one of the first miracle cures with orthotics in 19. 74, 75, I went back to running and racing because I wore these hard acrylic orthotics. Well, they didn't fix yeah. the problem. They alleviated the pain. Yeah. So I still wound up with the problems over time. Yeah. But, you know, for so for a lot of people, if you're not fixing, and this is medicine, right? You don't fix the problem. You alleviate the right. symptom. You that's, band that, it. That's modern medicine. So, yeah, exactly. so if you have a, uh, you know, if you're a podiatrist and, and you believe in orthotics, one of your you're going to want that uh, that approval from your patient. Oh my God, my pain went away because of the orthotics. Thank you, doc. Well, went away for now, but it's just moving around to other parts of the body. And yeah. I'm not going to say that some people don't need orthotics, but there's your feet are born perfect. Some people, oh, I was born with flat feet. Jennifer, I don't know yeah. what I'm going to do. I've got flat feet. How am I? I was born that way. You are born with perfect feet. You just the fact that you don't have a pronounced arch doesn't mean that all of the, the musculature in your foot, including the plantar fascia, doesn't work. It's just you haven't used it. Right. You've been encasing it your whole life. You're pissed. You know, it's your parents' fault. They put you in these cute little, <laughs> cute little shoes. They look so cute. You know, the little Mary they Janes did and all look the, really cute. You know, yeah. uh, and then you get to high school and you start wearing heels and you start looking. Go, oh, that looks really cute. And right. then the next thing you know. You've got foot problems. No, 100%. And it's over. It's overuse over time. Okay, we'll get back to that afterwards. I want to get back to why you look so good. Okay, so the running, then you went the stair, you did the uh, strength training. But now, what else are you doing to maintain this? So you, you told me what you do in terms of exercise. Yeah, so I lift twice a week. I mean, I do. I want the non-negotiables. Like, what do you do every morning? I want to know your routine. Usually I wait till the end for this part, yeah, but yeah. I, I saw you. I'm like, I got to ask. Like, this, this is the information people want to know, right? Because yeah. look at you. I mean, he literally is like, you would think he was 35. Okay, go oh, on. Thank you. I gush. Yeah, it's um, true. I uh, appreciate that because I've spent a lot of time in the sun and my, I think my, you know, the, the, the face does not, does not lie about that. But about anyway, non-negotiables. I mean, like I don't eat breakfast. Uh, so you intermittent fast. I don't even call it intermittent fasting because I think it's it's more like intermittent eating, but it's a restrictive eating window, right? So it it what it means is I wake up and I do an assessment like I have all this energy and I don't feel hungry. Why would I want to eat? 
you know. So I, I have a cup of coffee when I wake up. I do. Do you put milk in the coffee or cream, you, heavy cream? Heavy cream. Yeah. Okay. So okay, I know you're also in the ketogenic stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. but wait, can I ask you a question? before we even go into this? I think this is an important thing to to ask. Are you someone who lives to eat or eats to live? Because if someone who lives to eat, like I love food, yeah, it's really hard for me to intermittent fast and to do yeah. all these things, right? Because I love food so much, right? People who don't, there are other people who don't give a shit. Like they can eat, they forget to eat. I'm not one of those people. Yeah. So it's easier for them. For are you one of those people? Yeah. No, I'm. I'm someone who I don't live to eat. I eat to live. Right. But that but sense. that doesn't mean I don't enjoy every single bite of food I put in my mouth. So I don't eat stuff okay. just because it's supposed to be good for me. For instance. If, mm. it, if it doesn't taste good, like you could make me the best kale salad you ever made with a lemon, you know, vinegar, whatever dressing. I'm like, thanks, but no thanks, not having it, you know. I eat what I want to eat and typically when I want to eat it. And then I think one of the great skills is to is to realize when it's time to finish. And right. You can push the plate away and say, you know what, I don't need to finish that 12-ounce steak. I don't need to, you know, finish all of the salad that was put in front of me, even though it might be, you know, considered ultra healthy. Right. So you limit the amount of intake, food intake. I don't do it out of uh, some sense of uh, <laughs> anorexia, you know, or, or, yeah, and whatever. Orthorexia you know, or yeah, orthorexia. Yeah. yeah. I just do it because I, I, I'm so in tune with when I'm no longer hungry for the next bite. And it's, you know, so many people, you're, you're a great example of what I would say most people who look at life and who really appreciate food and who would say, what's the most amount of this meal I can eat and not gain weight? Mm -hmm. right? That's what's what the most amount of this dessert I can have and not feel like or a Or I pick food that has big volumes. Sure. Yeah. Or what's, you know, how can I really fill myself up here and not feel like a pig or not feel like I'm overdoing it and feel good about myself? How and, can I gorge and, 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 and no, be no, no. Okay. And how can yeah. I and how can I gorge? Oh, and then over a lifetime, how can I eat? a lot and not gain too much weight. Yeah. And so you see people who are, I've seen over the years, decades, see people at the gym and they're on the treadmill like five days a week burning 450, 500 calories on the treadmill. I'm like, why? Like, first of all, it's beautiful outside. You could go run outside. Why are you in the gym burning, you know, on this treadmill? Well, I like to see how many calories I burn on the treadmill. Why do you do that? Well, I love to eat. So wait a minute, you're kidding me. So you would rather put yourself through all this struggle and suffering and sweating and misery so you can have a few more bites of something you probably shouldn't have in the first place? Like how how bizarre is that as a as a motivation? So true, but haven't you ever heard of the saying common sense isn't so common? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I took I took a an opposite approach a bunch of years ago and I said instead of seeing what what's the most amount of food I can eat and not gain weight, what about what's the least amount of food I can eat, maintain muscle mass or build muscle mass, have all the energy I want, never get sick, and most importantly, not be hungry? Because the hunger part of it yeah. destroys everything. And if you do that experiment and you start to really pay attention to how much food you used to eat and how much you don't need to eat, right? and if you break it down, it's like nobody needs more than 120 grams of protein a day. You really don't. Yeah. You don't need more than 150 grams of carbs. And even if you did, it would mostly be in the form of vegetables. And if the rest is fat... We're, we're talking about less than 2,000 calories a day. So most people could live on, and I, and I could live well and maintain my mass and my energy on 1,750 calories a day and working out for an hour a day. I can get away with more, and I do, and I eat more, but I eat cyclically. So some days I don't eat that much. Some days I eat not twice as much, but I eat, I eat right, more. Right, 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 right. But you're not eating for emotion. But I'm not, I'm not, and, and, and again, I'm, I'm back to this notion that if you appreciate when, 
first of all, if you understand that you, that you don't need to eat that much to maintain all this stuff. So you don't need to. That's not a requirement. And so what, what it becomes is a luxury, like, okay, how much can I eat and not gain weight? And how much can I eat? And so most people find out that, that the 3,500 calories a day that they're consuming, breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack, they, they would be well served at 2,200 calories, you know, 30% less than they're consuming if they were just a little bit more judicious about their choices, mm-hmm. which also means more nutritious food. So when you're judicious about your food choices and you're not eating the bag of Doritos or the Ding Dongs, the right. Ho Hos, or the or the, or the yeah. whatever, and you eat food that is nutrient dense, as they say now, you wind up not being that hungry anyway. Well, yes, but also there's a difference between need and want. Like I know I don't need to eat that much, but yeah. I want to because also I think the pro- what you're what you're saying also the treadmill situation that let's just use that the whole conundrum because the more you work out the hungrier you get too. Yeah. So then That's it becomes an issue. right. That's an issue. It's an issue. So what I've had to do and this is like a trick I guess that I you know if I work if I like run super hard like I do like hard sprints yeah. I end up eating way more during the day cuz I'm starving versus if I went like kind of slow and more moderate I won't eat as much so it actually makes more sense for my body yeah. to go slower so I won't have that rat that, that appetite that's like ravenous I get it I get it but you know again we talk about genetics yeah you know as um uh, Blake Shelton would say, you're so little. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you, you have the genetics that allows you to get away Mm-mm. with that. And you say, Mm-mm, but you do. I mean, it's like, you know, how it can manifest itself in some people. It's pretty impressive how quickly people can gain weight yeah. with just a little bit of extra food daily over, yeah. you know. Over time. Over time. So maybe now we're talking about uh, some mental adjustment to your emotional attachment to food and what does it mean that you have to feel like you have to finish what's on your plate or you or you look at a size of you you look at uh the buffet which has 12 slices of cheesecake and you pick the biggest one because it's still one serving a hundred percent this is like a therapy <laughs> session now you're a hundred percent right that's exactly what i yeah, do yeah. but it's so true it's all a lot of it's behavioral and also psychological what about your supplements like are you taking are you on i want to add are you a you know i've heard you also talk that you're not into all the biohacking nonsense yeah, right yeah. so does that mean you're not a like, are you st- are you doing the sauna? Are you doing the cold plunge? What are you doing in terms of right. modalities? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in terms of supplements, I I do take testosterone, and I've been doing testosterone, okay. you know, DR- TRT, yep. for almost 10 years. Just a, a, a minimum. Oh, interesting. Only for 10 years. So when oh, you were yeah, 60. Yeah. I started when I was 60, yeah. A little after 60, yeah. So it's like, you know, that's become a huge craze now. Like, yeah. people in their 40s, yeah. my, like, people in the, even their 30s are yeah. taking it. yeah. But you said you didn't start until you're no, 60. No, no, no. I didn't start until I felt I, – I, like I, I held off as long as I could okay. until I thought, all right, now I'm at a point where if I don't do this, my muscle mass will decline at a rate that I can't keep up with. And it had more to do with my, the practical application of my being able to go play ultimate Frisbee or yeah. ride you know, with, with the guys and to be competitive still in that regard. So did you see like your ability kind of getting less and less and that's why you decided at 60? Yeah, I mean, I just, I saw my muscle mass go, my weight dropping a pound a year or something like right. that. And I knew it was all muscle because, uh, you know, I'd, uh, I've, I've had the same body fat since I was 19. 
Wow. Uh, so know. you knew, so that's why you yeah. went on. To, so you started that. And then what did you see happen? Did you like become like, because now you look very muscular again. Did it make a big difference in your life? Five pounds. It, it, so, so over the course of a year, I put on, I put on five or six pounds. I worked hard at it. And then I just now I've maintained that for almost 10 years. So you've been doing that for 10 years yep. and you do, you do a shot yourself every yep. day, I guess. No, no, no. Or a week, once, or once a week. Just once a week. Yeah. Once a week. Yep. Okay. And then I do collagen because I'm a big fan of collagen. I make a collagen supplement. The reason I make a collagen supplement yeah. was because I'm such a big fan of it, and I think everybody ought to supplement with collagen. Is it the one that you just wait? Primal Kitchen, yeah. But you sold that, like yes. five, you said four years ago, yeah. So, but you're still so even though you exited, still do you have, do you have another line of supplements that you just no started? no no. I, primal Kitchen makes collagen. Supplements. Oh, you're still so you're still yeah. taking that Primal Kitchen that you created. Why would I not? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, no, because you know what? A lot of times, what happens is people get bought out by big companies and yeah. they change the formulation. No, 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 no. So, I mean, this is I get this all the time. Like, oh, you sold out to Kraft Heinz, you sold out to Big Food. I would do the same thing, and most people would, honey. Well, Big Food, God bless them. They're obligated to improve their shareholder equity. In our case, Kraft Heinz is a company that owns 50 different brands. And their brands are legacy brands, you know, Jell-O, Kool-Aid, Crystal Light, Oscar Mayer, Orida, Planters Peanuts. They've owned all these, not these brands, Jell-O. They have no, the brands have brands. no relationship to each other. They're just a collection of great yeah. or, or not so great companies. Uh, and so they saw what we were doing and they said, that's a company we'd like to acquire and, that, and we'd like to expand it and grow it. Because some of the other legacy companies are contracting over time. You know, not that many people are, are consuming Jell-O anymore. And so they bought us, not because they wanted to change us, but they're like, oh my God, these guys yeah. know what they're doing and they're changing food. We've already spawned, I don't know, 50 other companies that are in the same space that we're in right now that are using better for you ingredients the way we are. So my mission there was to change the way the world eats. And we've done that. You have. Well, yeah. wait, so wait, when you sold it four years ago, yeah. right? How big were, how big was the company before you sold it? Like how many employees, what was the revenue? Like what was all that? Okay. So I don't know if I can even say this, but we were like, you, you know, 40, yeah, 47 million in revenue or something like that. Okay. Sold it for 200 million and uh, wound up and we had a hundred employees at the time. All the employees are still with the company. It's really? Oh, yes. It's all. It's still the company's still based in Oxnard, where we where we had our original plant and warehouse. You know, it's it's grown exponentially since then. We're in I don't know sixty thousand stores around the country of eighty five SKUs. So I would not have been able to do that myself. There was a the point at which a founder has to go. You know, how willing am I? to personally guarantee every freaking loan against this company, yep. securing my house and the mortgage of my house and, and my 401k against, you know, against the potential loss. And we had some unique situations where I was, at the time, probably the largest buyer of avocado oil in the world. So I had to be buying avocado oil a year in advance around the world to be able to make the products that we make. So it was, it was wow. unique in that regard. So when, when Kraft acquired us, it, they were like, and we had other suitors, but Kraft was like, I see what these guys want to do. I see how they, the resources they offer, whether it's distribution, whether it was warehousing, certainly funding. I mean, they, you know, they've, they've funded us. The marketing budget went way up quickly. Well, I would never have been able to do that. No way. Yeah. So what was their marketing budget? I'm, I, I'm not, I can't. I mean, I guess you could look it up. I could look they, it they up. They went to like twenty million or twenty-five million a year, in, you know, in marketing budget. And so, how much was it before they oh, even bought it? Three, two, three. I mean, I, you know, it was like I, I'm, I'm like writing every check before that. I so, know. Wow. Yeah, I, I had no investors in in Primal Kitchen, so I was the, you know, I was the sole source of financing until about a year or eighteen months before we sold. I, I allowed some of my close friends to acquire a small piece in exchange for cash that I literally 
kept in the bank and didn't touch, but but when I went to increase my line of credit, yeah. the cash was there. You wow, know? yes, yeah. of course. Yeah, so... So you didn't have any investment. How did you work? How were you able? Because you said to me when we before we started, you, know, you said you were always very entrepreneurial, yeah, right? Yeah. Because you can't make money being an endurance, no. you know, runner. No. So where did you get the capital even to start Primal Kitchen? What were you doing prior? Were you a, were you a successful entrepreneur already? I know the Daily Apple. I mean, yeah, yeah. Was that, a, that was a very popular. No, no, no. I started a supplement company in um, called Primal Nutrition. In 1997. Okay. And uh, 97. Okay. Yeah. So I and I and, and it grew relatively quickly over a bunch of years, but I was very, very close. Like I had nine, I had seven employees and was doing like nine million dollars a year and, and taking home three million from that company. So that was like really, you know, wow. cl- close in kind of stuff. And, and this was before the internet. This is before people are doing 150 million in sales, but they're spending 175 million exactly. in, in, aver- in advertising. So that's what I want people to understand yeah. for people who don't know, because yeah. before internet, social media, and all that other nonsense, you were like to me. I remember like your rise because I was like I was like watching because I was I was like oh my god look at this guy the, the letter and he's like right, you're always like doing all these walks in your bare feet and you're doing I remember the primal yeah. nutrition. And like you were like the poster child of like fitness and health naturally. It, yeah. When I say naturally, like out in the out in the world doing it, right? Yeah. Like, and you know, I always was wondering, like, did he come from money? Did you? How did you start? Yeah, was it so, just? <clears throat> I I grew up. I mean, it's a classic story. I grew up yeah. in a poor in a poor fishing village in Maine, right? In a, in a little fishing village in Maine, and we were poor, but we didn't know it. Kind of, yeah. you know, that 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 whole story. So I started uh, at age of twelve. I was working forty hours a week in the summers mowing lawns. Uh, and then I started painting houses at the age of 14. I put myself through prep school and college painting houses. And then I was going to be pre-med, but I was making enough money. And I was training for the Olympics at the time. So I put off going to med school for a couple of years, which is now <laughs> 50 years. Uh, yeah. Best thing I ever did yeah. was not go to med school. And then, you know, and I had different, I had a frozen yogurt shop in 1981, 82, which was the first early days of frozen yogurt. I had a publishing company uh, in the 70s and 80s, started writing books. Long before the books that you're familiar with, I had written a couple of self, self-published a couple of books. So I was, and anyway, I started, I started a supplement company in 1997 called Primal Nutrition. And I grew it on my uh, appearances on television, not home shopping or QVC, but I would be on these little cobbled together cable, like faith and family networks. Like where, media uh, buying? Were you buying no, time? No, I was just, I was, I was buying time, but from one show. This guy, Doug Kaufman, to this day, we're great friends. He had a show called Know the Cause, and I would sponsor his show. He would buy time on, um, on a uh, Christian broadcasting channel called Family Net. And then I would buy time on his show, and we just talk about uh, before podcasts. We talk the same way we're talking now. And oh, by the way, I have these great supplements. And 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 if you're interested, call this number. Operators are standing by because that's the only way you could buy in those yeah. days. And so it grew nicely for a, for a number of years. And then 2004, internet started becoming a thing. Dish and Direct launched with 300 channels. So in the old days, it was ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, PBS. And it was always on a Saturday, you could see one infomercial, and they were pretty interesting. You could watch an infomercial, and you totally. could see. Well, now all of a sudden, with 300 channels, there was infomercials everywhere, and so the the call of infomercial world dropped down. And 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 in the old days, you used to be able to buy like for a thousand dollars of local time on KTLA or something like that here. 
you could do $5,000 in business. It was, it was great. But over the years, it got less and less. And then eventually $1,000 worth of ad spend got you maybe $200 of actual revenue. And so you had to make it up with right. upsells and you know a continuity or you know auto ship. So in 2004, that whole model that I'd been counting on dried up. And um, so I, d I took one year, 2005, and I produced my own TV show. It was called Responsible Health. I shot 51 half-hour episodes of a health show on a, on a set with guests. It was a great show. And uh, I thought it was going to like self-liquidate. In other words, I was going to be my own sponsor. And, and uh, I bought time on uh, Travel Channel. I was on every morning at 8.30 on Travel Channel. But it did not, it failed to materialize. It, it, I lost, I don't know, a million and a half dollars doing that. A million and a half bucks that I did not have by the way. Wow. So how did you even, yeah, what did you do? So in 2006, I said, I'm good at cr the content part of this. I'm going to start a blog. Like this new blog thing sounds yeah. kind of cool. And, you know, I thought I'll start blogging and within a year I'll have a hundred thousand followers. This will be amazing, you know? And well, within a year I had like, you know, a thousand followers a day or so, a thousand views a day. And, but over the years it became within five or six years, it became the most popular ancestral blog on the internet. And we rose up through the ranks. I don't know if you remember Alexa, which was the original uh, yeah, ranking system. We got up to 3,200 on Alexa. I don't know if you know, if you, if you remember Alexa, it ranks from, on, on every, on from one to 350 million. I remember. And we, we were, were 3,200. 3, yeah. And the wow. first 50 were like, you know, Google Russia, Google France, Google India, blah, blah, blah. So, so. Whatever happened to Alexa? Is it gone now? I think it's gone. I haven't heard about it for a long time. Except Alexa, like the Alexa, yeah, yeah, tell yeah. me what's no, you know, the weather. So, yeah. so you mean, so you just start, so you were like an early adopter of yes. this idea. Yeah. So, so then like, by the way, how many people now are, do you have like subscribed? So I, you know, we, I think we hit our, our max at probably three and a half million a month, uniques a month Yeah. at one point. But then what happened was Mark's Daily Apple spawned thousands of other similar websites. And so the attention span of the average viewer who used to only go to Joe Mercola, Mark yeah. Sisson, and whatever, uh, Mark Daily Apple, now had all these other choices. So we we sort of de declined in that area. But based on that platform that I built, yeah. I was able to have a best-selling book. The Primal Blueprint went to, went to number one on Amazon of all books worldwide one day on Amazon. On a push that I that I that I Did gave on the, out there. Yeah. By the way, because everything now, if you don't have a newsletter, yeah. that you can't. It's hard to sell and yeah. and create a community. So you have you had a built in community to sell right. whatever the hell you want. And so that primal nutrition, those supplements, you had a direct vessel. It's just selling so much. And what happened was because I was writing so much about food and doing things naturally and not taking supplements. Yeah, my supplement business sort of fell by the wayside. And so in 2014. I thought to myself, I'm writing about food. I'm writing about, you know, how food is the way to change your health. Every Friday we have a, a recipe. Often it's for a sauce or a dressing or something like that. People who recognize that once they give up the pies, the cakes, the candies, the cookies, the sweetened beverages, the pastas, the whatever, it's a pretty small grouping of food that's left. And the only thing you can do about it is put cool stuff on it, sauces, dressings, toppings, herbs, spices, the methods of preparation. And I realized that there was nothing in the regular grocery aisle that would fit my criteria for a better for you, good for you, healthy mayonnaise or, or salad dressing, even Newman's own. So that's how Primal Kitchen got started.
So if you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I do not mess around when it comes to anti-aging or longevity. And I absolutely love realistic things you can do every day to help support the process easily. And I've recently started taking a brand new omega-3 supplement called Green Fat. Green Fat was created by the founder of Perfect Bar, and he basically knocked it out of the park. They're all about anti-anti-aging, or as they call it, pro-aging, which of course I can definitely get behind. And it's made a big difference in my overall well-being. If you guys didn't know, healthy fats or omega-3s are key to your everyday function, and it's also known to improve your skin, your hair, your eyes, your joints, your cognitive functioning, and your cardiovascular health. And I absolutely love the fact that it's packed with five essential fatty acids, as opposed to most omega-3 supplements only have two or three. I'm telling you guys, this is a real game changer. Go to greenfat.com with the code HUSTLE20, and you'll get 20% off your order. And the best part is they offer you a money-back guarantee with free shipping, meaning they'll refund every penny you paid for it if you do not feel a difference within two weeks. So you're trying it totally risk-free. So remember, go to greenfat.com and use the code HUSTLE20. And let me tell you, you will thank me later. I want to take a quick break from this episode to thank our sponsor, OneSkin. If you're tired of spending countless dollars on skincare that doesn't end up delivering the anti-aging results you want, I'm totally with you. And this is because too many companies market their skincare as anti-aging without any evidence or studies to prove it. But this is why I like OneSkin, because all their products are formulated with OSO1. It's the first ingredient scientifically proven to reverse skin's biological age at the molecular level. In fact, in a 12-week clinical study performed by a third party, one skin's OSO1 face was clinically validated to strengthen the skin barrier and improve skin health biomarkers, leading to diminished visible lines of aging. It does so by switching off sensitive cells associated with aging. I've seen dramatic improvement in my skin and the signs of aging have practically diminished. Well, not completely, but you know what I mean, by using one skin. It honestly, the results have actually been pretty remarkable. So if you want to buy skincare that actually works and provides you with the anti-aging benefits you're looking for, you should try one skin for yourself. I promise you will not be disappointed. Try it for yourself now by heading over to oneskin.co and use code HUSTLE15 for 15% off your entire order. So wait, you only started Primal Christian in what year? 2014. Yeah. And you only sold it like in 2019, 18? So you only had it for five years? Had it for less than that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, We started in 2014. We didn't didn't launch our first product until February of 2015. And by the end of 2018, I had a firm offer to, to buy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was one of the fastest growing food companies. And what would have happened if you if you held on to it for two more years? Well, two more years we we had COVID. We had the COVID. We yeah, had I mean, so you know, we, we have there were a lot of t- timing things yeah. where I'm like, what would have happened is, you know, I probably would have, you know, I don't know what I would have done. It was a it was a stressful time for me. So it worked out 
just the, just the way, fine. Th- Thank you. So let's hold on. So the sup, so the sup, just to like finish the loop on the supplement company. Did you just shut it down? The primal so, nutrition. So 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 Kraft bought the supplement company along so, with. So you still had the so okay, the, so, they're still Primal Kitchen supplements. They they got sort of rebranded from Primal Nutrition to Primal Kitchen. But you were selling the Primal Nutrition supplements at the same time as from, food from nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. So here's way? so here's to close that loop on financing a business. Yeah. So I had this supplement company that that was generating a good income for yeah. me. And I said, I'm going to start a food company, but I'm not going to start a separate food company because that would mean I'd take for every dollar I make in California and take out of the company, I have to I I'm I literally wind up with 40 cents, right? that I can put over here to start a new company. So I started adding products to the old company. Yeah. So Primal Kitchen never existed as a company. It, it was owned by Primal Nutrition, right. LLC. And the brand became Primal Kitchen. And so we wound up doing business as Primal Kitchen. But So I was using pre-tax dollars to do the R&D, to, to hire the new people, to test the, the concept, and ultimately to grow the company. Oh my gosh! So, what was your first product you came out with for Primal uh, the Kitchen? Mayonnaise, what we call the OG mayonnaise. The, 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 the mayonnaise with the yeah, first, not yeah, the ketchup. Yeah. No, God, the ketchup was way late. The ketchup was years later. The original product was uh, Primal Kitchen regular mayonnaise, avocado oil-based mayonnaise. Yeah. And then we had a chipotle lime. We had a garlic aioli mayonnaise. So we had three mayonnaises within a year. We broke every rule. I mean, some of our our mentors would say you can't be in more than one aisle. Well. At the end of six months, we had two flavors of mayonnaise, two bars in the bar aisle, uh, collagen bars. Right, I remember and, that. And then three salad dressings in the in the dressing aisle. You know, and we were crushing it. We were just like crushing it. Yeah, yeah. I can't even believe that. So basically, not until recently, you 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 weren't really this rich until recently. Yeah, correct. That is amazing. I really thought that like it was more. I didn't realize that you. It's so this a is, hobby of mine. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, like this like, <laughs> Rich kid floating around. Just, you well, know, you look so working like, out all day. You look going so to debonair, yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks. And you're Thank like you. doing all these fun things. They're like, yeah. I heard you're like saying Bart's here, saying doing this yeah, yeah, and doing yeah. that. Like, yeah. so this is like a new lifestyle for you, in a way. Um, yeah. I mean, look, we lived well. My wife and I. Yeah. And you've been married for like 100 years too, yeah, right? Close. Yeah. Uh, th- we've been together 35. Well, I just had my 70th birthday in, in France and, and it was the uh, 35th. And she kissed The first time she kissed me was on my birthday when I was 35 years old. So she's been with me more than half my life. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So, but we've, you know, we've taken nice vacations. We've lived in nice homes. We've driven nice cars nice restaurants we've we've had a, yeah, a yeah, nice i mean yeah. you know <laughs> i mean i was i was making between 2 and 3 million a year with my little supplement business and as we say in malibu some people can live on that <laughs> exactly <laughs> so exactly uh, i mean it's so hor- funny. It's, it's horrible to say but no it's you know, so true it's like, come yeah, on it's like yeah. it's hilarious it's like it's it's different here it's yeah, just unbelievable yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, in other aspects of my life I've always been a very a very minimalist guy like my That's your whole brand of my, course. You know my uh you know my daily uniform is uh some Lululemon shorts and a t-shirt you Tell know me about and, it. and and uh some Paluvas now. And yeah, exactly. Uh, but so so anyway, so yeah, what what's happened in since the sale of the company is the vacations have become uh spectacular adventures. So and I take 20 family members with us wow. on these on these trips. 
That's amazing. Congratulations. That's like, that's really amazing. So then because of the newsletter, are you able to like push through the Paluvas? Like basically anything that you create in a way, you have a direct vessel to millions of people to buy your stuff. Right. So does everything become an automatic? Is this the first thing that you started after Primal Kitchen got sold? Yeah. Now I I also have um, a health coaching business, uh, Primal Health Coach Institute, which is a it's been around for 10 years. Uh, we've trained 5,000 coaches. It's completely an online learning experience. Oh, okay. It's the most robust health coaching program in the world. And I've had many doctors take it and say, Jesus, I wish I'd learned this in medical school because I've reconfigured my entire practice around these principles. And it's the principles of the primal blueprint. It's literally you know, going back and, and looking at the root cause of disease and illness and working with the patients to fix it, not to put a Band-Aid on it. So anyway, I have this, I have the Primal Health Coach Institute. Okay. And how many people do you have that you've, you've we, we put 5,000 people. So what that. are the prerequisites? Can any, you know, Tom, Dick, or Harry just start to do it? Pre- pretty much. Although it helps to have basic college education. You okay. don't need to. We've had a couple of people with a, a basic high school education go through, but you need a college education, but you're going to learn, you know, biology and you're going to learn biomechanics and you're going to learn, learn, and, uh, I mean, in addition to all the science and all the stuff, my, my idea was, because my original plan was I wanted to change the lives of 10 million people around the world. That was my original mission at Mark's Daily Apple. And then a couple of years in, I, I added a zero to it. So I wanted it to be 100 million people. Certainly, my books have had some effect on that. Podcasts, obviously. The blog itself. The you food- have a podcast too, right? I mean, we do. It's a primal. It's a primal, primal kitchen one. kitchen podcast. But my co-founder Morgan at Primal Kitchen, who's still now, she's the CEO of Primal Kitchen, and she's, you know, she's a dynamo who runs Primal Kitchen for Craft. So she's. Oh, yeah. so you had a co-founder? Yeah. Oh, okay. What was her role in the beginning of this whole thing? So initially, she was a marketing director at a sparkling probiotic company called Kavita. Oh, I and remember that. That's, that's where I met her. And they, Kavita sponsored an event that we had yeah. that I, my company had. We used to hold these uh, events called PrimalCon. We'd do a three-day experience at a resort. And we'd for three days, people would come in from around the world and they'd learn how to Olympic lift and how to sprint right and how to move right and how to do throw an addle-addle. I mean, it was crazy. It was, and, and we had guest speakers who would come in. And so all the original early guest speakers, you know, Rob Wolf and uh, John Durant and, you know, people that that you now uh, have probably listened, have listened to for a long time, doctors would talk. It's and no it, longer, you guys, you don't do it anymore? Is no, we did about 15 of them over the years. Oh, okay. And we usually have anywhere from 100 to 150 people oh, wow. for three days. It was, it was great. But anyway, so Morgan, on behalf of Kavita, they sponsored an event and Kavita was located in Oxnard and we were having an event at the um, Embassy Suites on the beach in Oxnard. So okay. we just, uh, so she wanted to meet me. She was a fan. So she wanted, so she brought the product over and, and we wound up hanging out for dinner that night. And then she drove my wife and myself home and said, oh, by the way, here's my card. I'm thinking about leaving Kavita if you ever need any help in marketing. So literally like six months later, I just decided to do this, this food company. And I called her up and I said, you know, what are you, what are you up to? So for a year, she worked for me, you know, as a consultant, as a marketing consultant hourly. Long story short, I had had earlier partners that just didn't work out, and I bought them out. And so I, I, I said to Morgan, "Let's let's just do this. You know, let's we're waiting too long to get stuff to market. Let's just make this happen." And so she came on, and she she got awarded some equity. So I, you know, she was a co-founder, 
in that regard. Right. Yeah. So basically, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Wow. And so that's the girl who does the Primal Kitchen podcast, podcast basically. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. And okay, by the way, I think we didn't talk about you, you were talking about sup we got like totally I know, sidetracked. We're all over the place, yeah. I know because it's so fascinating yeah. to me. But what supplements are you said collagen is the supplement that you believe yeah, in yeah. a lot. Yep. you you take the primal kitchen one. Yep. Or primal nutrition. I, primal nutrition, yeah. Okay. What other ones are you um, a believer in? I, vitamin D. Vitamin D. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Everyone and I feel like everyone like me, everyone takes this vitamin D. Yeah. It's become very common. Yeah. What other ones? That's about it. You don't have you do you take like NAD, like, no? No. no. Do you, you don't take, like, a, a fish oil? Uh, no, not anymore. Why? I just, I've, I've come down to this, again, we're talking about minimalism. I know, minimalism, I know. And, and uh, a term that was sort of, uh, I think, popularized by Tim Ferriss is minimum effective dose. Like, what's the minimum effective dose of food? What's the minimum effective dose of exercise that I can do, yeah. get away with and not beat myself up, but still benefit from? And I think, what's the minimum effective dose of micronutrients. Yeah. And, you know, this gets us into that whole um, carnivore Paul Saladino discussion about- yeah. he was if, on this podcast a If you times. get rid of grains, grains are such absolute leechers of everything in your body. Like the original RDAs, which were created in the f 40s, I think they were based on a grain-based diet. So yeah, you had to have, you know, all of these high levels of right. vitamins and minerals to keep up because- the grain was <laughs> sucking it all out of right. you. Right. When you get rid of grains, uh, for the most part, and you cut back on uh, sugar and you get rid of seed oils, and you just have these nutrient-dense foods that are, in my case, meat-based, animal protein-based, you don't, th there's all the nutrients that you need in those. And I remember getting in trouble a little bit in the past when I was thinking like in the 70s or uh, training for my first, Iron Man. I was getting sick all the time. I upped my vitamin C to 25 grams a day. I mean, that that's just unbelievable. You know, like the the RDA is 60 milligrams. I was doing whatever that is. Yeah. You know, 500 times. Yeah, actually. 500 times of, at least. Yeah. yeah. So, and I got I would get I got sick from doing that, and I thought, well, I've just thrown the entire balance of my body off thinking that I needed. All these things. All these things, or even some of these things. I mean, right. the worst is thinking you need some of these things, or like one of these things is going to cure it. I mean, you hear a lot of people talk about like electrolytes now, and so yeah. magnesium is a big thing. But if you don't balance out the magnesium with potassium and sodium, and then so, then you have other issues. Well, that's the problem, right? Because everything now, especially with social media, people are so confused. Yeah. And so they hear one person say one thing, another person say another thing, and then they end up taking everything and not knowing what they're even deficient right. in. Right, right. As opposed to like, but then how do you know, how did you figure out what is the minimum amount of this, minimum amount of that that I can do, get, that I can get away with to be right. as efficient as possible? How do you even figure that out? Yeah, so the two things that I look at are, first of all, in the terms of collagen, collagen should be a fourth match. Nutrient. Yeah. There should be protein, fat, carbohydrate, and collagen. And collagen is different from protein because it's different. They're different configurations of dye and tripeptides. They're, yeah. And and you can't you can't get them from like organ meat. You can't get them from a chicken breast. You can't get it from lamb, beef, pork. You have to either eat the gristle, the skin, bone broth, right, chicken stock. And since we don't do that regularly anymore, I mean, we did a generation ago or two generations ago, but we don't now. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole generation in the 80s of people, bodybuilders, who ate skinless, boneless chicken breast yeah. and white rice. Do you remember Jesus. that? Oh my God. Do I, that, that, do I yeah. remember it? I that like, was like whatever, by the way, people still do that. You know that. I know, I know. So collagen, I think, is important as a, and you need to get like 10, 20, 30 grams a day in 
in my estimation, because it's the only thing that really supports connective tissue. And so much of your body is collagen. It's the most prevalent actual protein in your body between fascia, ligaments, tendons, cartilage. So uh, what do you do then? You just you supplement for I, it? I supplement, sure. So that's a supplement. So I take the collagen supplement. But the supplement, wouldn't it be better for you to actually do the other sure. natural things? But you Sure. Just... You want to come over to my house and make some bone broth yeah. and do some chicken stock and <laughs> sure. s- stand over that stove 100%. and simmer, simmer all day? In my spare time, I'll be yeah, more yeah, than exactly. happy to do it. Right. Um, so you do that, how many, so I, you take how many spoonfuls of that? 20 grams a day, usually. Because they say that doesn't like, uh, they, I don't know who these yeah, they yeah, are, yeah. but like that it doesn't actually... Help, it doesn't kind of penetrate properly or get like into the system well. Yeah, you don't it's, believe. That? I mean, I I believe that there's some utility in doing it because I had I had my own experience of coming back from a from a debilitating injury that I thought was going to end my my running jumping. Was this career. the Achilles? The Achilles thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I came back from that like a hundred percent. So I'm like, okay, I get that. Then I've seen a couple of studies where they label collagen peptides. And they and they have people do a six minute. Uh, they they drink fifteen grams fifteen minutes before a jump rope session, and then yeah. they label the uptake into the Achilles after the. It's pretty cool. Really, and you can show the increased uptake of the collagen peptides. Yeah, I should try this to is doing a more of that. So yeah. that's something you really believe in. Highly. I do. Okay, what else then? And then vitamin D. And vitamin right. D, as I've said for twenty years, shouldn't be considered a vitamin. It's more like a hormone. It's a, it, yeah. It, it's a pro hormone. So because it regulates your hormones. Right. So I'm still not supplementing with it with with one particular vitamin because vitamin D should be should be a hormone. So that's it. And um, you know that's uh, so far you know so good that I've cut back in the last maybe five or ten years to wow. just that. Yeah. How about peptides? Are you a big believer in peptides? Do you do the sauna? Do you do the cold plunge? Do you do all so, those? Yeah. Things? So I don't do peptides. My wife loves them. So Carrie does. Mm. And she believes in them, and I can't argue with the results. But I just I've tried a couple times and didn't see anything, and it just didn't did didn't didn't work for me. I was an early adopter of the cold plunge. Okay, started doing it probably 15 years ago at our house in Malibu, and and this was this was completely unrelated to the latest science. But I was as a triathlete, I was probably the best runner that ever crossed over into triathlon. I became a very good cyclist and it was a shit swimmer. Yeah. Like I have a record at Ironman that'll never be broken and that's the slowest swim time <laughs> for a top five finisher. Um, had I learned how to swim, yeah. my life would have changed because I would have been probably one of the best in the world and it would have shifted every th- all my choices. So glad that didn't happen. Wow. But over the years, I'm like, I hated water. I hated cold water. I hated, I hated swimming. I didn't want to learn how to swim. It didn't, I only did it because I had to. It was right. like, again, pain management, right? Right. Discomfort. So at one point in, in Malibu, I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. Like I, like I, I squeal getting into, you know, an 81 degree public pool. What the hell is that about? So, yeah. so I said, I'm going to, I'm going to deal with that. So I, I, uh, we kept our pool unheated in Malibu. And so sometimes it would get down into the high forties and low fifties because you know, when the Santa Ana winds blow, yeah. The, the the warm water, no matter how cold it is, the relative warm water comes to the top, and then the, the winds, the 30-mile-an-hour, 40-mile-an-hour cold winds blow it off, yeah. and so it super cools. So we would have this ritual every night where I'd go out the backyard naked, walk into the pool with zero affect, just thinking to myself, it's not good, it's not bad, it's just a sensation, walk into the pool, dunk myself down, hang out, and after as long as I could stand it, which is anywhere from two to five minutes... I would get in. I would join my wife in the jacuzzi where she was <laughs> hanging out comfortably, and so we did that for years. Then when we moved to to Miami, we uh, we have a a spa there with a cold plunge. But I think what I found for myself is that I I never really got the the so called the purported 
benefits of you know brown fat activation or decreased inflammation. It was just a head trip for me. It's yeah. just it's all all it's ever been is like okay, I'm going to go do a cold plunge. I know I'll feel good. I'll feel refreshed after I do it. Right. I mean, it was it was great, but I wasn't doing it for some long range longevity strategy or for for reducing inflammation. Right. It was more like do something every day that makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. And I stopped running a long time ago and I stopped, you know, whatever. So so this for me was my um, my my discomfort. What what I found happening was that it became it, that then it just so many people started doing it and I I encouraged other people to do it at my at my building that I live in in the gym and the spa. And then, you know, they'd say, "How long did you spend in the cold plunge today?" I'm like, "Well, I did four and a half minutes." Well, I did five and a half today, Mark. I'm like, "Oh shit, now I got to go to seven just to show you can be done." <laughs> and it became this ridiculous and then I got sick a couple of times spending too much in the time in the cold plunge. Really? Oh, of course. And a, a hormetic stress is only good to the point that it's going to cause a positive adaptation. 100%. But they be, but hormetic stress has become bad quite rapidly. It's a, it's a, it's a curve. And at the other end of the curve, it might cost you a couple of days in recovery. Whether I, it's yeah. whether it's too much time in the sauna, whether it's too much time in the cold plunge, whether it's uh, too long a run on a hot day. Or, you know, like if you were, like I was an, as an athlete, I know I left some of my best races on the track two weeks before the race thinking, I got to, you know, I got to dial this in. I got to, I got to do one more right. half mile at, you know, 214. So it was, I've, I've also recognized that in this risk management stage that I'm in of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That um, there's some, some, there are some things I just don't, need to do and and I'll I'll get in the plunge once in a while. We have one we have a plunge on our roof in the Palisades. So when we're staying in the Palisades, I'll get into the plunge right pool and it's great. I do a couple of minutes. I don't I don't need to break a record. Right. You know, it sounds to me you're very like you're like a very practical person. You're not very I mean you're extreme you maybe you were extreme with your exercise, yeah. but like everything else seems like you have a very common sense practical like approach to it. Like I know I heard you also talk very much about again, like you're not into wearables, right? Yeah. yeah. Again, like and the truth of the matter is like they're not even accurate. No, I mean you, you put horrible. you put twelve on I used to believe no, me, I get everyone sends me all their wearables. I wear them for a couple months and I'm like, what am I doing? Like yeah, yeah. they're not even like what's the point? Like I need somebody to tell me if I'm sleeping well, not sleeping well. Like I know if I slept well or not. Right. Well and and uh, well, as as I will go one further and, and say anxiety. Bad data is worse than no data. Yeah, that's true too. Okay, right? so we played ultimate frisbee on uh, Sunday, and uh, we played for an hour and a half, and we played man on man. And uh, so you know, I'm I'm being very economical with my running. I don't I don't make an end zone run, you know, every every play. If I'm guarding my man, I'm I'm keeping him within a distance. And at the end of the game, my the guy the guy I was guarding. He asked everybody around, did you start your watch today? And everybody started their watches. Well, mine says I burned 1,320 calories. I'm like, Jesus, man. I, like, if you burn 320 calories, I would be surprised. Even that's a lot, by Your the way. watch is lying to you. Well, you know, it's said it every week. And okay, well, you're still fat. So, <laughs> You know, it's so funny that you just said that because it's true. Like, I can run like my ass off for an hour. And you look at my watch, I'm like, 346 calories. I'm yeah. like, 
people overestimate the amount of calories that they actually burn. Yeah. And so they say, oh, you know what? I could eat this piece of cake now. But if they actually knew how much that cake had, it's yeah. like 50 runs, not yeah. one run, yes, right? Exactly. It's so it's so yeah. crazy, but we, our, our brains play tricks on us. Yeah. But I find also when you wear all these wearables, it actually gave me anxiety. Like, look at, oh, I got to look. I might be sleeping not well. Da, da, da. And it becomes like this gamifying thing where it actually like did me worse than if I just like, like yeah. you know how I I know how I slept. Did I did I sleep from twelve to seven? Do I feel rested? Do I not? Like whatever it is, you know what I mean? No, there's there's something disconcerting about waking up in the morning and going, oh, I slept great, and the watch goes, No, you didn't. I'm like, <laughs> exactly right. But it's so. Why do you think all of this? Do you think it's just going to keep on going like this? No, but like, I think you said the word, the gamification of life. Yeah, people are, are they're into their devices. So yeah, so true. Um, you know, I uh, when we're in um, the south of France. Where we spend summers, we were there for three months this year, and so you're so fancy now. Pardon me. You're oh so yeah, fancy yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, and and I do carry my phone with me, and we walk a lot. You know, but it's interesting that that how different my phone shows the steps I did with my wife's phone, who walked the whole way with me. Right? Isn't that yeah, right? Yeah. Wow, yeah. it's very different, right? It's so off that it just it it makes you think, why am I even paying attention to this? It's right. Like, but it's a game. So as some people would say. The treadmill at the gym yeah. shows you a relative number. It's only relative to you. So if you think that you are burning 700 calories, but you only burned 400, if that 700 is more than the 600 you burned yesterday, that you that right you only, exactly, then you're still it's still going to be a benefit to you as a game. As a game. Well, you know, right. That's why, like, I use my, I wear the Apple Watch for the steps. Like, did I do 10,000 steps? I mean, it doesn't make a difference. He can wear one, you can wear one, and I, like your wife. We yeah. all have different steps doing yeah. the exact same thing. But at the end of the day, I mean, I'm not using it for anything beyond that. Even that to me is a lot, right? No, my wife did a yoga class every day. at our, we, So we had a yoga teacher come to our house in France. Yeah. And, and she would have, we, we always had, we're entertaining guests. So we ever had anywhere from two to eight people that would be staying with us. And so the yoga teacher would come and do a yoga class in the morning, and Carrie would look at her watch and go, "I did twenty five hundred steps during yoga." Exactly, it makes no sense. <laughs> no. It makes no sense at no. all. No. I want to take a quick break from this episode to thank our sponsor, Therasage. Their Tri Light panel has become my favorite biohacking thing for healing my body. It's a portable red light panel that I simply cannot live without. I literally bring it with me everywhere I go. And I personally use their red light therapy to help reduce inflammations in places in my body where honestly, I have pain. You can use it on a sore back, stomach cramps, shoulder, ankle. Red light therapy is my go-to. Plus, it also has amazing anti-aging benefits, including reducing signs of fine lines and wrinkles on your face, which I also use it for. I personally use Therasage Trilight everywhere and all the time. It's small, it's affordable, it's portable, and it's really effective. Head over to therasage.com right now and use code BEBOLD for 15% off. This code will work site-wide. Again, head over to Therasage, T-H-E-R-A-S-A-G-E.com and use code BEBOLD for 15% off any of their products.
So can I ask you another question I want to know because you're a runner? Okay, so as you get older, you know, like you, I think I heard you mention somewhere that as you you said also on this podcast, you don't want it, you want to have a whole thing against running yes. and into the walking. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah. And I also want to ask you because you are, are a runner, you're uh, the runner's high. Like I'm trying to stop running. I'm sure a lot of people do, right? When I'm in your, in your 40s, whatever, yeah. my body is like, it's killing me. Yet you don't get that same high. What can you substitute it for? Because nothing I've found does that at like yeah. a runner's high. Yeah, it took me five years after I retired to stop training as if I was still competing. R r really? Yeah. Okay, so what do you do? How did you do it? Well, eventually it went away. Uh, the, the mojo went away. So, and for example, I I ran 100 miles a week for seven years at, at the heyday. And then I kept, I, it, that was as a runner and then even as a triathlete, even though I was injured and I had running yeah. running issues, I still ran 30 to 40 miles a week. I just couldn't run them. Right. Um, I haven't run a mile in 25 years. So, yeah, but- I have not run a mile in 25 years. I haven't put on shoes to go run. I sprint, I'll do beach sprints and I'll play ultimate where I'll, Apparently, you know, do 13,000 steps or something. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> but, but it's not the same. Do you, but do you get the same? Where do you get that same endorphin rush? So the endorphin rush, I really want to do a, a study on this at some point because I think the endorphin rush is the same as if, I don't know if you subscribe to any of these nature is brutal kind of things on the internet, but where, they, where they'll, you know, uh, people on safari will show a lion eating a zebra that's still alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went on a safari myself. Okay. I'm fascinated by okay. all of that. All yeah. Right. I think the same thing happens to a runner in that this is a life-threatening situation. You're running, you're putting your body through this every day. Right. And so there are certain receptors in the brain. They call them you know, the endocannabinoid receptors. Uh, they call it endorphins or encephalins, the natural morphine-like substances that your brain produces. And I think what what they're doing in an evolutionary context is they're just keeping you euphoric in an otherwise life-threatening situation. Yeah. And so we tend to seek these out because we can. Like our ancestors would not have run 10 miles a day every day. That's just stupid. That's right. a waste of resources and, and everything. Our ancestors, based on their native fitness, were able to run 10 miles, maybe 20, chasing you know an antelope and tracking it and chasing it and sprinting and whatever. But the idea of running daily didn't exist for a lot of reasons. Cut to modern life where we think that running is good for you and therefore we do it and we do it because we can do it and we can do it because we carbo load every day to be able to go out and do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And then we have these cushioned shoes, these high-tech running shoes that encourage us to heel strike. And so we become terrible runners because we're heel striking. Look, humans have two basic gates maybe a third in between. But the basic gate is walking, which is a heel-toe, land on the heel, push off on the big toe, land on the heel, push off, and a sprint or a fast run, which is typically a barefoot run because that's how we evolve, which is landing on the midfoot, not on the heel, not striking on the heel, but landing on the midfoot. Now, you can run slower than a sprint or faster than a walk and do a combination of those. But if you, if you were to do that on the plains of Africa or the even the, the some of the tundra in northern Europe and you're barefoot you'd still you'd still be able to feel the ground underneath and you'd still be able to land your brain would get all the sensory input of how to weight how to bend the foot how to bend the knee how to torque the the the, mm -hmm. the, the ankle how to twist the hip and how to absorb all that shock with every footfall 
You take that all away when you put on thick cushioned shoes, right. and now there's no sensory input in the foot, and now the shoes are encouraging you to run heel strike, heel strike, heel strike. And so, so many people are running. Like when when I started running in in the '60s, um, I ran in Chuck Taylors, and oh my god, I could I could run 40 miles a week max, and it's my feet that would say, "No, you're done. You're done for the week." And then along came uh, on at Sugart Tigers, which is the first sort of racing flat, and you could run 40 miles a week or maybe 50. And then when Bill Bowerman went to Phil Knight and said, hey, I got this guy, this runner, Kenny Moore. He's one of the, he could be one of the best in the world, but he, his, his shoes won't let him run more than 80 miles a week. Can we build a shoe that'll let him run 130 miles a week? And that's the, the origin of the thick running shoe was this thing that would let some of the early oh, wow. Nike runners put in more miles and train harder and be able to race against world-class athletes. Well, that's if you're a great runner. But then as the rest of the country began jumping on the running boom and thinking that because Ken Cooper wrote a book in 1968 called Aerobics, the more you run, the better it is for your heart. And so everybody became a runner in the 70s. And and they became pretty bad runners. And they started doing... And, and so this, this heel running, landing on your heel and rolling over became the way most people sort of learned how to run. So what that does is that encourages bad form. It pushes all of the stress away from the mm. foot and up to the knee and up to the hip and lower back. Um, and in my case, the hip. So I have bone on bone in my hip now from all of the years all of running. Of the, yeah. Never got a hip replacement? I'm thinking about scheduling one fairly soon. I'm putting it off as long as I can. But yeah. 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 Wow. That's yeah. Not, I heard they're really easy now, Yeah, though. yeah. I've just not had good experience with medicine at all. Yeah, so, I don't so. blame you. Yeah. So, so... I guess, where were we with the cushioning and the... No, I was going to say, well, my first question was, how do you replace the endorphin So the rush? endorphin, so the endorphin, so we got to the point where people were running daily because they got this endorphin yeah, that rush. they thought was good for them. And and the classic example oh, is the is the ex-heroin addict who becomes a running addict because he's right. replacing the one or form of morphine, addict. a workout yeah. addict with, with, you know, with the other. I see what you're saying. So it's not yeah. necessarily even good for us to have that endorphin No, rush. it's not. I would say it's not even good to have that. It's not necessarily good. It's, it's fine, but it's, I think evolutionarily, it's not serving the same purpose we think it is. Oh, I see what you're saying. But if you're so used to it, so you said that over time, you'll just, you won't need it as much the less you do it. Or you find other, you, you get in the cold plunge. You know, I, know, I, I also like you. I'm not, yeah. like, you know, crazy. <laughs> you know, or it. you do the sauna, or you do a heavy lifting day, and you get the same. But heavy rush. lifting to me doesn't give me the same. I still do it. I don't yeah. get the same yeah. thing. So, this is going to be a therapy session as well. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, what is it about the running? What do you think you crave about the running? I think because the rush is not. It's not. That doesn't cut it. With I me. think it's the sweat. Like when I sweat like that, yeah. I sweat when I do weights like that or whatever else. Yeah. And like just be able. Like it's my form of meditation, right? Because I'm not a meditator. Yeah. Right? I, I, yeah. But that's how I think of my best things when I'm running, and I feel because I'm like doing something at a my my heart rate. It's hard for me still to right. do it. All those reasons. Right. I think walking. I love walking, and I walk a ton. But it doesn't. It's not the same. It doesn't. It doesn't like give me that feeling like oh I you know the psychological thing like I did something. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So now, running versus walking. Doctor Mark. No, no. So w walking is probably the best thing a human being can do. The best single best exercise. Look, we're bipedal. We are designed. We're built to walk. Yeah. I'm thinking about writing this book, Born to Walk, instead of Born to Run. Why don't I, you do that? Well, I'm. We we are. So, um, but the idea is that, like, 
how fast can you walk? If you're walking normally at a, and somebody says, okay, let's walk to Century City, you know. Do, you know okay, and, and, I can walk to Beverly Hills from here yeah? in 30 minutes. Okay, what, how many, 32. Like, like how many miles is that? Two, Two. yeah. All right, so, you're, so you're running, so you're walking 16 minute miles. Was that bad? No, you're walking, that's great. 16 minute miles is pretty fast. And I can probably go faster if I wasn't on my phone and distracted. Not much. Let's just say you could. Yeah. Let's say not you by a lot. Maybe but two let's, minutes. No, but this is my point. Let's say you could walk fifteen or fourteen minute miles. Yeah. Can you run seven minute miles for that long? No. Why not? I could. It's I guess. only twice as fast. It's that's my point. Is most people can only run at best only twice as fast as they can walk. Not three times as fast. Not four times as fast. At best, only twice as fast. So if I said instead of a half hour run. Why don't you do a one-hour walk, cover the same distance, burn the same calories, zero chance of injury. In fact, when you're a runner and you get injured, walking is how you get back from an injury. Yeah. Walking is the, is the least injurious activity that you can do. It's the best for your posture, for your gait. Now, you need to do it barefoot or in minimalist shoes. Barefoot doesn't make sense. Walking to Beverly Hills, you got right. But so that's that's where the whole idea of minimalist shoes, wide, thin, flat, flexible shoes come in. You want to feel the ground. You want to feel every time you step on a root or a rock, you want the toes to articulate. You want the toes to, yeah, you want to feel the ground underneath you. So that shoe you have right there is only point, it's, it's 0.9 centimeters, nine millimeters thick. So that feels, it's got just enough cushion so that when you walk on concrete, you don't get a a bone bruise. Right. And I that was one of the first things I looked at when I was creating these shoes was how how could we make these suitable for walking 10 miles in the urban jungle? Because I can walk to Beverly Hills. And Absol I can, absolutely. I can do 30 and I want walk. you to. And I want you to. I'm going to do yeah. it today, but I can't get my toes in here. Well, we're going to have to work on that. The, I know. the reason you can't get your toes in there is because you've scrunched your feet together for so many years yeah. in, in those hot little heels of yours <laughs> uh, and those running shoes and everything else. And so we need to we need to work on the toe splay. Right. Because if you can imagine, if you took it to its its logical conclusion, a shoe this high off the ground and and with a narrow base is not far off from a stilt. Like would you want to walk on stilts to you know and how much no. you know but as opposed to if you walked barefoot or you've walked in minimal shoes and you were able to splay your toes out and feel everything and feel every toe working and work all the small muscles of your feet, you your feet would get stronger, your ankles would get stronger, so you'd be less inclined to to roll them. And then one of the great comments we're getting from a lot of people is how, how all the muscles up the leg, up the kinetic chain of the leg, are benefiting more from the ground feel. Really? Yeah, especially weightlifters. Guys lifting yeah. uh, deadlifts and, and lunges and squats in the gym are saying, look, my, my legs are benefiting from my wearing the paluvas because of the toe splay, because of the 100%. In fact, actually, when I do my lower, when I do my weights and stuff like that, I take off my shoes yeah. and I do my deadlifts and my things. And my feet are so weak. Like my, they wobble. My yes, ankles are wobbling. It's terrible. So I can just wear these. Yeah, totally. And, and the idea behind these is don't run in them yet. I mean, you know, years down the road, you could. But walk in them, spend the day in them. And we have, we have different models for, you know, driving, for, for doing errands, for picking the kids up at school, like for going those. out to dinner. These are, these are the leather uh, lace-ups for, you know, weddings and funerals. Can you please send those to me? I will wear those. <laughs> those are the nicest ones I've seen. Okay. I mean, these ones though, like for, so you're telling, it's more of, again, it's all psychological. Like I have to get used to the feeling that I don't have that support in the arch, right? Like, 
Yes, you do. It's all psychological. It's all psychological. And yeah. so you spend, you know, you, you you wear these around the house the first day for yeah. an hour, and then you take them off, and then the next day for two hours, and then the third day you walk to Beverly Hills at two miles in them. Yeah. You know, I'm going to do that tonight. Okay. So where are they being sold? Are they just on your website? Just on the website for now. Through the newsletter? No. So Mark's Daily Apple is is owned by Kraft. So stop it. Yeah, yeah. So I still write for it and I still but it's but Kraft acquired, you know, they they acquired the the food company, they required they acquired the uh um I bet you they bought you because of that newsletter oh, too. Well, I don't know about that. 100% that data that newsletter, that yeah. database, yeah. all so they got all the names of the people. That yeah, was so under, smart. That's what everyone's doing. No, now. I know, but understand it's not, they're not a direct response company. No, they're, I know, but yeah, that's yeah. what's valuable, right? Yeah, like yeah. that's what makes someone valuable. You have right. like they have a direct way to sell to people now. That's what your big that secret sauce. Yeah. Wow. So if you were if you still write for them. We've, no, we've we've Done pieces on. Can you Palooka. go? Can sure, you put something in there? Sure, but not every day. You know, not not often. It's got to be. No, it's got to you know, be like it's, once it's, in a while. It's a newsletter, and there's not a lot of advertising to begin with. Are you actually still like between you and me? Yeah. and maybe a couple people. Are you really writing that newsletter? Still? I have a team. I have a team of researchers and writers, and I write some of the stuff, and some of the stuff is you know that can be done by other people. Some of the heavy lifting by other people. I, that's what's done. Wow. Okay. So then, what else are you working on? This kid. So this has been out for how long? This Paluva. We launched in uh, March of this year. Okay, so you're pretty brand probably, new. Yeah, really yeah. new. Really new. Yeah. All right, so this, what else are you, besides going to the south of France, of course, yeah. what, el what else are you doing besides that, this? What else are you up to? The book, Born to Run, or Born to Walk? Yeah. Are you really working on that yet, or you're so, going so to work So I'm on always it? working on a book. Always. Uh, yeah, and so I've got a, a sort of an, a longevity book that I'm working on that is the anti-Huberman Atiyah approach. Really? Which is what? Tell me what it is. It's, it's more like... Do Don't do all these things. How do you feel? Yeah, it's it's really it's based on common sense and being attuned to the body and how you feel versus how a device tells you or a blood test or a. How a do you? Scan. Okay, that's such a, okay. So I love that. So like, how do you? Because people like magic pills, yes, right? And yeah. that's why a lot of pe a lot of these people are very popular and these things are popular because people want to you know say oh it's I, oh i can try this to get you yeah. know my secret body that i always wanted or i can i can shave 20 years off of my age if i do this secret yeah. thing right like once you tell people like i wrote not not to bore you with my whole story but back when my first book was called no gym required and i did a shoe that was a weighted shoe right and my whole my whole thing was basically giving people these simple solutions to be healthier and fit which were really like basic stuff. Like I would say like kind of similar to you. That's why I really like, you know, re you resonated with me. I was like, do a squat, a push up, a lunge, a pull up, whatever. Basics. Like you don't have to rely on these crazy machines. You don't have to rely on this. Like you can do all these things. People didn't care. Yeah. They wanted the people, they were like very interested in all this other kooky stuff that yeah. was not even like helpful, really. It's just a moneymaker. So how do you expect now, you know, 20 years later to try to tell people that's all nonsense. You can just listen to yourself and use common sense. People don't want to believe. I'm not. I'm not into the magic pill moneymaker. Me neither. Thing. So, but people like. I understand, like it. but but I, you know, when when I made a mayonnaise at retail for nine ninety five for a twelve ounce jar, people said you're crazy. No one's going to buy it. It's like that. They want crunchy, salty, fatty, sweet. They want cheap. They want you know. They it's want. True. And and I'm like, yeah, 
a lot of them do, but I bet there's some people who want who want this. So I write and I make product for the some people, for the some people who are you know willing to suspend disbelief maybe a little bit and put on a five-toed shoe or who are willing to give up their wearables for an experiment that lasts a couple of weeks and uh, really forces them to look inward into how they feel or their thought process. I have all the money I need to live the rest of my life luxuriously, and I don't need to leave it to kids or grandkids. I'm just... I'm, I'm living my life, but I'm going to do it on my terms. And so, you know, I've always been ahead of the curve in some of this stuff, but my one of my problems has been timing. I've been, I was, you know, 10 years ahead of the curve on the seed oil thing. I started talking about it in, the, in 2007. Well, had I launched Primal Kitchen then, it would have been a failure because it took 10 years of educating the world mm-hmm. to to get there to be accepting of a very expensive mayonnaise that was demonstrably the best on the shelves and better for them because of the knowledge base that I'd built and the credibility and you know all of the other educational aspects of that it it worked and do you think now people are ready to hear the next evolution of like don't worry about wearing that whoop and that aura ring or whatever I'm not I'm just whatever you don't need that listen to yourself I some, to- some people are some people. Some people. Some people. All I need is some people. This All is, you need is some you know, people. Like, like as I said on a recent podcast, I, I like there's in in the U.S. There's 330 million people or whatever the number yeah. is, and they all need shoes. And some people are going to need Paluvas, <laughs> and I only need a million people to be a very successful company. I love that line. Some people. It's yeah. so true, right? Yeah. You just need some people. Yeah. And I want people. I want my people. I don't want the people who don't want to listen and don't want to, you know, they're not willing to educate themselves and they're still stuck in, in the old mentality. That's, they're not my people. They're not. And I don't, I'm not, I don't even pretend to want to convince them to come over to my side. I want to talk to people that want to listen. I totally agree with you, but I'm wondering, what do you think it is about you? Because a lot of people can talk stuff and like people don't listen, right? Like obviously they're listening to you. Like at the beginning of everything, like you did the letter, I mean, the the newsletter, like what was the quality that you think got to build a community in the first place, right? Because even though you were an early adopter, why else do you think that you had the success that you did? I mean, I think it was real authenticity. Uh, we, we We did research and we didn't make outlandish claims without at least backing it with research. But I mean, I was one of the early guys, you know, fat is not bad. Saturated fat's not the mm-hmm. reason for heart that. disease. Cholesterol is not the bad the bad guy people think it is. And people appreciated that I stuck with a lot of that over the years. I changed my mind in some areas. They appreciate that I changed my mind with in the face of, of new evidence or new information. Are you a big smoothie guy? No, never. Really? Yeah, because it's like that's another one of these big trends. That are, do you yeah, think it's a or, myth that they're so healthy for you? No, it's a myth. Yeah, it's a, I would say, I would say, you know, it's a convenient way to get calories in. Great. I'd rather eat my calories. I'd rather chew and crunch and get the mouth feel and get the experience. And one of the things, again, we talked about like, when is it time to finish eating? Well, when I've had the full gustatory experience and I'm no longer hungry for the next bite, if I'm slamming down a, a 20 ounce smoothly and, and I'm, you know, in my mind, it's like, okay, this is a, there's an intention behind completing the, the, the consumption of this smoothie. So I'll just, whether or not I'm any thirstier or hungrier, I'm going to, I'm going to finish it. Yeah, yeah. And it's where so you lose, you lose touch with the reality of like, when is it time to stop yeah. with a smoothie? And, you know, I don't, a lot of people live by their smoothies. They have a, you know, breakfast smoothie and a lunch smoothie. Yeah. It's very popular. You know, do you ever go to Sun Life Organics? 
for for a twenty dollars movie. For, yeah, I'm just uh, saying oh, for the God. billionaire smooth. No, and Khalil's a good friend of mine, and I'm like, I, I've I, I cannot. It's the principle alone yes. that it will not allow me to do that. Like, yeah. if I can go to Mastro's and get a steak for the same price, yeah. it's, it's like Arrow One. Yeah, right. Like Arrow One's like a twenty five dollars smoothie. You know, me and my girlfriend laughed. We went there last night because we had dinner. I had for, yeah. uh, dinner with my friend, and we walked to Arrow One, and I very rarely do this because yeah. it's like insults my intelligence. Forty seven. Dollars for my dinner, which was a little thing. I had yeah. kelp noodles yeah. and some sweet potatoes and a little salmon bite that was like this big. Anywhere else in the world, it would have been a nine ninety nine dinner. Right, forty seven dollars. I thought I was like I couldn't believe it. I could not believe that like the audacity that they have. And the place is full. You oh, can't. Oh, even- my son ate there last. He got. He, we brought something home from Air One last night. Right? Same thing. Yeah. And like the yeah. audacity and the people are like standing in line. Like you think they're yeah. giving something away. Yeah. By the way, I didn't mean to diss uh, Sun Life and Khalil. No, you're he's not done, dissing he's, No, he's done a great job and he's a great friend of mine. But I just thought there's an example of like, and I don't even care what the price is on it. It's just uh, that amount of sugar that, you know, dates and whatever Do you remember it is? Jamba Juice? Of course. Okay. Yeah. It's basically I, a fancier Jamba yeah, Juice yeah. with like- you know, orga- the word organic and some healthier things, yeah. but you can still OD on healthy foods yes. with, with calories especially and sugar. Especially juice, especially juice, yeah. 100%. Like, yeah. these are all just fancy Jamba I, juices. No, I, we in, in the Primal Blueprint, which came out, it was written in 2009, came out in 2010, one of the opening scenes is, is you know, going to Jamba Juice. Yeah. The Cindy Core getting, getting off the spin bike and going to Jamba Juice and, <laughs> yes. and having 200 grams of, of uh, sugar to replenish the, you know. The, the one the, gram the, that the, she actually whatever burned it was, off. She, she actually burned off, yeah. It's so true. It's so crazy. I mean, anyway, I know that we, I've, I've, we've been going on and on. I don't know how long this sure podcast call. is, but I have to say that I am going to try these shoes. I am going to walk to oh, Beverly Hills. Sure. Oh, trust me. <laughs> and I'm going to make sure you send me those. Okay. So we both can like you know, follow up on each sure. other. And where do people like find more information about you? Okay. So, you know, Mark's Daily Apple is the blog. Been around for a long time. Yeah. Can they go to craft.com uh, for no, that? No, 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 no. It's Mark's Daily Apple. <laughs> and uh, Wear Paluva, W-E-A-R-P-E-L-U-V-A. Okay. Is the Instagram site for the shoes. And then paluva.com is where they can buy the shoes. Buy shoes. Well, this is great. Would you come back on the podcast sometime next yeah, time you're in LA? Of course. This was amazing. I want to, I would say let's work out together, but you don't run anymore. You don't do all, I don't have a fat bike. So unfortunately, I guess. We'd have to do deadlifts or something. Yeah, like a deadlift <laughs> or something. Exactly. This has been so fun. I really appreciate being on the podcast. And I think we're, I'm, you're done. We can, okay. You can go home now. <laughs> Thanks, <Jennifer. laughs> Thank you. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, 
and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.